Hi everyone and welcome to the Perma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome back to the show. It's really great to have you all here today. Um, and uh, I have a returning guest with me today. Um, they were on the show um, a couple of years ago, I think. It feels like <laughs> feels like it was only a year ago, but it actually wasn't. Um, uh, yeah, Joe Lumen, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me again, James. And I know, I don't know, the last two years have been all mashed up together. So I was just here in that period of time at some point. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I think it was summer 2020. Um, but the last two years feel like they've been kind of a blur, really. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, so... Um... But yeah, Jo was on a couple of years ago and shared her own story, which was brilliant. Uh, and uh, today we're going to talk about something really interesting, something that Jo talks about a lot on her on her Twitter timeline uh, and in other places. Um, we're going to talk about um, evangelical culture, um, patriarchal evangelical culture, and how this indoctrinates people into certain patterns of behaviour. So, um, yeah, Jo, kind of kind of open up the conversation tell us a bit about that yeah so um i actually recently made a video where i was i have talked about this before but i had never made a video about it where i'm talking about how certain beliefs inside of evangelical culture um fundamentalist like evangelical culture not just evangelicals but other fundamentalist uh, religious cultures especially christian religion religions um make like really normalize narcissistic behavior and abusive behavior. Um, so there are these ideas that there is an like there is a hierarchy of authority, for instance, and in this hierarchy of authority, um, pastors, clergy, uh, leaders inside of all of these churches and spaces are closer to God. It's almost like God has downloaded onto them these specific like. Uh, knowledge about the divine and about the purposes of the divine in the world. And all of that causes for people to believe that they are more special than other people, that they are more important than other people, that even these... Um, like Christian supremacy is rooted in that idea, right? The divine speaks to us specifically, and we are more important than any other people in any other religion, in any other part of the world, in any other time, um, because we are the chosen people. So it's this idea of the, the bastardization of chosenness, uh, because there are healthy expressions of chosenness inside of Judaism, for sure. But in Christianity, there is this bastardization of chosenness to mean that we are special and unique, and then you start moving in the hierarchy because inside of Christianity, there are some that are more special than others, right? Um, mm -hmm. There is men are more special than women and they will never say that and admit to that, but that's how they behave. And children are less special, less important. And clergy are more important and more special. And if you're a preacher, you're more important. So um, there are all of these hierarchies that then cause for abuse to be normalized and then cause for narcissistic behavior to be normalized. And while I can't say that you can diagnose every single you know, pastor of a mega church with narcissistic personality disorder, there are indeed a lot of their characteristics. Um, there are a lot of characteristics of narcissistic personality disorder that you can find in a lot of pastors of evangelical churches, 
um, I have noticed that. So it's just really interesting to notice all of those patterns. And that's just one way in which abuse is normalized inside of evangelical culture. Yeah, exactly. It's the more I've been detached from, I would say, to like evangelical Christianity, and I'm talking about, you know, kind of fundamentalist kind of um, certainty, kind of that kind of thing. The more I've been detached from that, the more I've seen how these patterns really are so obvious because the God that they believe in is abusive you know right it's the whole pattern is abusive it's right um i got it's like i will love you i will give you everything you want i will be nice to you i'll be good to you as long as you believe in me and do what i say and if you don't then i will punish you for all eternity and burn you for all eternity and that is abusive behavior <laughs> so right is, is it any wonder that you know that these patterns get passed down um into the church when you believe a theology like that right absolutely this the um you know we we see this punitive justice system all over the west we see the idea that if you make a mistake you must be punished for it we see how we treat children and we punish them when they don't behave according to the standards that we have set for them and all of these punishing uh, methodologies all of these punishing people in our communities in different ways uh, comes really from the idea of a punishing God, a God that if you don't choose to believe in certain things, if you don't align with certain behaviors and ideologies, then this God will punish you, this God of love, right? And then we normalize the idea that love and punishment go together. I punish you because I love you, uh, because God punishes me and sends me to an eternity in hell if I don't love him in the way that he wants me to love him. And so we normalize, uh, and it, it, in my opinion, it is a grooming behavior. It's grooming people to tolerate and accept abuse in the name of love. Because if I convince you, since you are a little child, that I am hitting you because I love you, because, um, you know, I, I don't have the capacity or the patience or whatever it is, the tools to be able to actually educate you, to actually equip you with better tools. But instead, I'm just going to resort to violence and I'm going to hit you, intimidate you, scare you in order to get you to behave in the ways that I want you to behave. And I'm going to call that love because you're a child and your brain is being developed. You're going to grow up believing that every time that you are mistreated in the name of love, that is actually indeed love. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I couldn't put it better. <laughs> um, and this can, I mean, I've I've experienced this in a passive aggressive way as well, because what I've I've had the experience of being in a kind of fundamentalist progressive environment where the same thing happens, but it's done in a very passive aggressive kind of way. Uh -huh. um, and again, it's like centering the pastor, and it's like. I speak for God and I'm right and stuff. And if you don't subscribe to it, it's kind of you're socially excluded, and uh -huh. disconnected from the leadership, but it's all done quietly, silently, under the radar. You don't notice it for a while. And then suddenly you notice it and it's like, oh, right. I'm, I'm really far away from all of this. Like I'm almost being right. pushed out of the church in a passive aggressive kind of way. And that is, that's emotional abuse. That's spiritual abuse. Uh -huh. 
Um, yeah. It kind of happened to me. Uh, and it was very traumatic. And my body actually felt the um, consequences of that. I had really, I had physical trauma from, from that from that abuse so it does so it can happen in all sorts of ways because we're so indoctrinated people get so indoctrinated into this idea of you know well god yeah you believe in jesus and then you go to heaven and if you don't believe in him you go to hell then those kind of behaviors can be normalized and you actually start to believe that that's okay yeah (laughs) and it's not absolutely no right it's not and there are so many things in which you are indoctrinated into these beliefs, you know, the, the ideology that um, your suffering is going to be used by God in order to be able to be, bring glory to God, to the world. That's grooming behavior, because then every time that you're suffering, you're going to say, oh, this is for God. It's good. It's supposed to be good. Or maybe that it is a way for God to be able to um, to prune you and to make you a better human. That is grooming behavior, too. There are so many, you know, and so they tell you, if you don't believe in these things, you don't belong. And because belonging is such a an intrinsic necessity it's a, it's a need that humans have we have to belong we need one another we are not independent beings we are um almost dependent we are interdependent beings we need one another in order to be able to survive and they tell you you won't belong anymore not only to us but you also won't belong to this divinity that we have told you is the most important thing in the world so you will do anything out of wanting to protect yourself uh to be able to belong, you will do anything, especially if these things are given to you as a child, right? So it's mm-hmm. there is so much abuse, and the thing is that when you're inside of it, and it's everything that you've known, you cannot even recognize it for the abuse that it is. You can't see how it is abusive. Absolutely, absolutely, um, yeah, and it's it's scary that when I look back, <laughs> um, I know. twenty years and what I believed and how I expressed those beliefs, just yeah what that was um and i didn't know any different and i didn't see it because when you're in it you don't see it um and it's only when you kind of come out of it and you allow yourself to disconnect from it and deconstruct all those things that you actually see it yeah right right Uh, i was talking to someone earlier today and i was telling because they asked me um you know, I was told so many things when I left the church. I was told that I wasn't going to do anything of value outside of the church. I was told that I was sinning against God. I was told that um, God was going to be disappointed in me, that I was forfeiting my call, that I was not going to be protected by God anymore if I left the church. I was told all sorts of wild things. And they were telling me, when did you stop believing that in order to be able to leave? And I said, oh, no, I, I left believing that. And I left because I needed to save myself because I was so depressed and well, I needed to leave that church, even if I disappointed God, even if I was forfeiting my calling, even if uh, I wasn't going to do anything of value, whatever that means, for the rest of my life, I needed to leave. And I left afraid. Uh, and it wasn't until I had distance from this paradigm and this toxic space until I had had some distance that I started to recognize that they had lied to me, that this was all just manipulation and emotional abuse, that this was just religious uh, grooming, really, in order to get my labor for free (laughs) or almost for free sometimes, um, and in order to get me to do the things that they wanted me to do. 
And, but I needed space and time, you know? So that's why I tell people, I don't need you to believe anything that I say. I don't need you to believe anything anybody says, but can I invite you to spend the next six months of your life exposing yourself to different ideas uh, and just sitting with them? Like no judgment, no, you know, you don't have to accept any of them. You have, you can be mad about them. You can say this is absolutely ridiculous, but just take six months, just six months to move away from the paradigm that you have always been in and expose yourself to new paradigms and start listening to people that you've never listened to. Start uh, learning about things that you were told you couldn't learn about. Start questioning things that you were told you couldn't question. Just take six months to do that. And after six months, you say like, no, um, I still want to stay in this paradigm. Then yeah, absolutely. But give yourself at least permission to to take six months of your life to do that. And most people that I've told that uh, don't go back. Mm. that's right yeah um because once curiosity is awakened then you start asking questions right um that's it you can't really you can't once you see you can't unsee no Um, absolutely yeah um absolutely yeah and i'm not surprised that not many people go back (laughs) (laughs) um so kind of outside some of the more obvious consequences of this uh-huh. way of thinking, what are some of the wider consequences that this can have for people um, and for behaviours? Yeah, well, as far as individual or like more societal? Well, both. Okay. Yeah, well, individual, it is impossible for you to have a healthy relationship with other human beings if you continue to believe that there is only one way of existing. So it affects your ability to have a healthy relationship with yourself because you have to deny a lot of parts of yourself in order to be able to, like, I call it maiming myself. They they, deny, they demand that you maim parts of yourself, that you cut pieces of yourself in order to be able to be acceptable and accepted. And so you don't have a healthy relationship with yourself because you can't accept yourself just as you are. You have to perform, you have to fit, you have to become uniform with other people. You know, there is no real... Uh, individuality inside of these spaces. There is just, everybody has to behave the same ways, follow the same rules, get married, have children, and do all of these things, tithe, go to church. Like, the expectations are the same for everybody. There is no agency. So you cannot have a healthy relationship with yourself, which then makes your relationship with everyone around you unhealthy too, even if you don't notice it, because you are pushing everybody into the same boxes. And because of your frustrations with the fact that you are not your full self, you are going to end up projecting all of those frustrations onto the people that are the closest to you. And that's going to harm them. It's going to harm your relationship with them. And there is also the aspects of a spiritual bypassing, where instead of dealing with um, your insecurities, your traumas, your pain, your realities, whatever it is that you may be dealing with, you simply spiritual bypass all of them. I am a child of God. Everything is going to be fine. Or um, I'm just going to pray and everything is going to be fine. Or God knows what he's doing or things like that. And you continue to bypass and avoid actually dealing with yourself because Jesus helps everybody and fixes everything. And I just have to believe in Jesus, which is ridiculous. We know that there is healing that needs to take place, that there is honesty that needs to take place, that there is just speaking about the reality of how you are crafted. But you cannot even do that if when you speak about your reality, you're told that you're a sinner, that you're not accepted. And then you demand everybody fit into these narratives too and then you become someone that is indoctrinating others and harming others and demanding that others fit too 
Uh, and so you miss out on the, the myriad of expressions of humanity. You miss out on wonder. Um, you miss out in a lot of beauty that is in expressions that may not just align with who you are or what you've been told you're supposed to be. And that is for like personal expressions of you know, like unhealthy uh, consequences of being pushed into these narratives. But then there is the societal ones in which people end up being marginalized because Christianity is a powerful religion in the West. It's the dominant religious identity in the West. So you are demanded to fit in, not just because you're going to be accepted personally, but because you're going to be accepted societally. And Mm -hmm. for the longest time in the West, not being a Christian was demonized not being a christian was considered to then you were a bad person there was a the assumption of morality right morality yeah. belongs to the christian and therefore everybody that was not a christian that was not showing up to church on sundays that was not doing all of the things that were expected of christians was an immoral person even if their behavior was anything but unethical um and so there is this this narrowing of of what is okay in society and therefore we miss out on different possibilities and creating a world where more people are accepted Um, and then we start marginalizing people we start i mean the reason why we have racial marginalization is deeply connected to toxic abusive christian religion is the belief that non-christians in africa non-christians in any parts of the world that were being colonized by different european powers all of those people were either subhuman or were either to be conquered in order to be converted into christianity so that they could help them fix them make them better like that's Mm. the epitome of arrogance and the epitome Mm. of supremacy and yet it affected like it's the reason why the slave trade happened is the reason why my people were colonized and our culture was there was genocide cultural genocide and physical genocide of indigenous people all over what we call america the entire continent today uh it's the reason why lgbtq people have not been able to be free to exist not not do anything, just exist as their full self mm. is the reason why women have been oppressed because women are supposed to be submissive to men is the reason why children are oppressed because children are supposed to be submissive to all authority figures, which means all adults is the reason why there is so much oppression against the Jewish people and against Muslim people in the West. Uh, there have been entire you know, campaigns to murder people groups to 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 create the genocide of entire people groups because of narrow religious ideologies so this is not even something that we are it's, it's not light right we're talking about mm. genocide here we're talking about very serious consequences into having these very narrow ideologies and not allowing for curiosity to be a part of our practice um those those are the societal consequences societal consequences that we are still living in today Right. There are so many yep. laws being passed right now that are anti-trans laws, that are anti-bodily uh, autonomy, that are anti-LGBTQ people in general. There are so many laws that are being passed in in France. There are laws that are anti-hijab. Like women cannot wear a hijab. How how absurd! Mm-hmm. Um, we have pastors talking about how religious freedom is not healthy, and what he means by that is that everybody should be Christian. Because they love religious freedom for them, but for nobody else. That's why the Puritans came to America, right? It was looking for religious freedom for them, because while Mm -hmm. they believe that they deserve religious freedom away from the UK, 
they also believed, or from Britain, they also believed that indigenous people should not have religious freedom at all. Mm. So it's always religious freedom for me. It's rights for me. It's things for me because we are the good guys and everybody's bad unless they accept our way of being. And that is the that is completely characteristics of supremacy culture. So we live in a supremacist culture that hurts us all. It really hurts us all. Uh, and we have accepted it because of Christianity, because we have said that this is the way of God. And after 1,700 years of repeating that to people, it now becomes this is just the right way. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird because it's interesting that in the UK, we're now largely a secular culture. Um, I think only 1% of people actually go to church regularly. Um, and yet we still have the legacy of this because... Um, Brexit is a is a is a is a fruit of that because it comes from this i this idea that we Britain um, and deep down that means white Britain um, are better than everybody else that we are above everybody else that we don't need anybody else that we can do everything on our own and that cooperating with anybody else is weakness um, and this kind of yeah, it's that kind of gave birth to Brexit because it's like we don't need anybody else, you know. Um, yeah. And actually, the reality is that you know, and has been borne out, uh, is that actually we do need other people, and we do need to cooperate with other people, and we do need um, political and economic cooperation with Europe and um, Tibet to thrive as a country. And now we're suffering the consequences of of our arrogance. Um, so there's a kind of karma going on there <laughs> a little bit, um, but. Um, yeah, that legacy is still here, and you know we yeah. don't. And you know we're in in the UK. We're kind of educated to think that, like the British Empire and colonialism was a good thing, somehow. Totally. That, like that we were the greatest nation on earth because we conquered half the world, right? Um, right. And that's that's in school. That was in school. That was in school when I was growing up. We were told that, right? right. So you just so you just believe it. Um, but it's not actually true. Um, um, you know, we need to be educated on the fact that actually we 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 caused a lot of damage um, with empire yeah. building and colonialism, and that we yeah. need to kind of have a bit more humility um, and pay reparations and you know apologize right. and do all I mean, that stuff. Yeah, right. I mean, the this might be a little uncomfortable for some people, but the notion the monarchy is rooted in theological beliefs. You know, yeah, any monarchy yeah. is rooted in theological beliefs. So whether it is, whether people want to call that secularism or just a form of government, it's a form of government that came from Christianity. It's not a form of government that came out of nowhere. Like having a monarchy and having a monarch that actually has to be crowned um, because God chose them to be the monarch. That's religion. That's Christian religion. It's, it's you know, that's, that's what the queen said when she was crowned. That this is, and that's what she says often, God, this is a calling from God. We were chosen by God. So the monarchy alone is really a religious ideology that has just existed for so long that now we don't see it as religion. We don't see it as Christianity, but it is absolutely rooted in Christianity, 100%. And now, are there economic implications of all of that now that affect the reason why the monarchy still exists? Absolutely. And all of that mm. is true. But you cannot divorce the monarchy from Christianity. 
they are together. They, they, they happened together. They happened at the same time. Um, and it is really interesting to consider those things, right? To consider that mm. you all sit in this government where there is a monarch that believes that they have been chosen by a divinity that is the Christian divinity uh, in order to be able to be a representative of the people. Yeah, and we have a we have a British upper class as well. Um, like I'm talking like old money people who've been who own half the country. You know, <laughs> go to Eton and go to Cambridge, and you know, um, who some of whom seem to think that they have a divine right to govern. Um, and um, we have somebody in charge of our country now who went to Eton and went to Cambridge and came from money and yeah. seems to think he's able to do exactly what he wants and that's fine and just flagrantly lie and break the law and everything uh, and get right. away with it because somehow he's above everybody else and better than everybody else and can do whatever he likes, which obviously he can't. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's toxic and uh, things need to change. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um didn't expect to be talking about British, uh, British <laughs> politics today. <laughs> I was just yeah. talking about the connections with religion. We don't have no, to no. delve deeper. <laughs> no, it's just funny. I'm just, it's just, it's just so, it's just interesting how far this goes. Right. You know, how deeply rooted it is um, in our I mean, cultures. Just, just with the history of your last few monarchs that you have right now Queen Elizabeth because her uncle wanted to marry a divorced woman. Yeah. And that is rooted in religion. Yeah. The only people that care about divorced people are Christians. You know, it's religion. It's completely religion. It's it's fundamentalist Christianity to believe that a divorced person is less worthy of a king. Uh and I mean, she was also American. That didn't help. But um, but even yeah. those things, like all of these decisions that are being made about entire people groups, entire countries, entire um, entire governments, they are being made because of religious ideologies. And and recognizing those things, it, it matters. And now clearly it doesn't matter anymore because they've evolved. We've evolved past the divorce being a problem. But we clearly haven't evolved about in regards to black people being less than, even if they won't say it overtly, there is this issue with this half-black woman inside of the monarchy, Right. Mm. It's a, and, yeah, absolutely. I was going to. I was actually going to mention, uh, going to mention her actually, and um, just uh, just on on um, the king who abdicated. Um, the, I've i watched a lot of documentaries about that, and apparently the the mood among the British public at at the time uh -huh. was that like, he should be free to marry her, and right. it shouldn't be a problem. It was again the British kind of upper class you know, establishment that decided, no, 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 we can't have this. We can't have this. <laughs> you know? um, and, the, you know, the head of the Church of England coming out and saying, like, you know, Archbishop of Canterbury saying, we can't have this, you know, um, because the king or queen is head of the Church of England. And uh, and that's still the case. So, right. yeah. Um, but, yes, um, Meghan, um, who, again, it was really popular here, still is quite popular here, um and yeah and some of the i mean if we saw that interview between with harry and megan and oprah um last year that was quite telling in terms of, yes. in terms of um how they've been treated um and 
and and then Prince William comes out and says um, that they are not that he that he's not racist, which he obviously cannot say because he's a white person. Yeah, um, but it's typical. Um, yeah, so yeah, it's 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 and, all and very I mean, deeply all of these Videos and pictures come out of him being carried <laughs> by tribal people in mm, Africa. Yeah. And all of these pictures come out of behaviors that the monarchy has participated in that they have not apologized for. But I'm not racist. What does that mean that you're not racist? That you cognitively choose to not be racist because your behavior says otherwise. The behavior of your family says otherwise. And it's okay. It's the way in which you have... It's not okay. But it's simply recognizing that that's the way in which Christianity, dominant Christian religion, has indoctrinated all of you. And if you're not grappling with that but simply saying no I'm not racist then you're going to continue to cause harm and your implicit biases will come out the implicit biases that have existed in your family lineage for the last 1700 years we love to talk about how trauma travels right how there are there is all of this racial trauma that all of us people of the global majority are carrying that I have all of this trauma from the ways in which my indigenous ancestors were treated but we never like to talk about how privilege is trauma too and how it also carries uh, how it also is passed down genetically to your descendants, how believing that you're better than everybody else is trauma and is harmful and is a, is, is a way that is not healthy to show up in the world and that you're passing that down to all of your descendants, especially because there is a hierarchy inside of these families too. The firstborn is more important than anybody else in the family. Yeah. And they are being told that because if the thirdborn dies, they are like, this is really sad, but it, I'm really glad that it wasn't the firstborn. And so you grow up believing that you're so special, especially if you're a firstborn that is a man. Man, you're believing that this is so much more special than everybody else and to believe that that doesn't affect your psyche and the ways in which you show up in the world and the ways in which you engage everybody else is to be honestly like intentionally daft like i don't even know what else to say like it's just mm. intentionally how could you believe that that doesn't affect the way that you show up in the world Mm. William has mm. not only been raised to believe that he is in the most important family in the world that was chosen by God to lead this very important country. He was also led to believe that he is more important than his brother, Harry, yeah. you know, and yeah, that, that's, mean, that changes I mean, the way that you are. I mean, yeah, Harry talked about how he was financially cut off by his father. I mean, right. and how is that even remotely okay? You know, um, like you know, so what? You're supporting your one son, but not your other son. That's mm -hmm. like how, how you know. I, I just I, I was shocked when I heard that, although I shouldn't have been shocked. Um, but yeah, exactly. It's just gosh, it just goes so deep, and it's yes. been going on for so long that it becomes normalized that we don't even realize right. that we're participating in it. You know, and, right. um, that process of unlearning is painful. You know, I've had to. I've had to do that. I'm still doing that yeah. um, as a as a white male. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, but it's absolutely necessary to do yeah. that work. Yeah, in order to be able to show up in the world in healthy ways and to have healthy relationships with people around us, we have to we have to do the work. We have to do the work of um, of dismantling the the faulty narratives that we have been fed about both ourselves and others. Mm. Yeah. And how, so, I mean, this is actually where I wanted to go next anyway. So how do we go about unlearning these toxic systems and then trying to change them? 
Yeah. It, the, one of the most important things for me was exposing myself to voices that I had been told are not important, voices that are intentionally silenced in our society. Um, you know, I, I, I tell this story often, but I've been learning theology, studying theology for a very long time, you know, for a few decades now. And I was told that theology was very important. And I was reading the most important theologians. And I stand in front of my bookcase that has a lot of books because of school and because of my love for reading. And I realized that every single theology book, and in general, most of my books on all topics are written by white people, mostly white men. And then I think about what are other theologians that I've read that are not white men or privileged men, because some of the ancient people that I was reading were not considered white because the idea of race was created just 500 years ago, but they were still privileged people. How many of the things that I have read are actually from the margins, are from different religions? Have I ever read anything about any religions that are not Christianity, any theology that is not rooted in privilege, that is not rooted in the people that have the most power in society? And I realized I have not. So for two years, I decided to sit down and specifically read it because this is my field and this is what I do. I decided to read theology from the margins and I started to read, you know, liberation theology and womanist theology and mujerista theology and black theology and uh, theology from the East. That is just so incredibly beautiful. And I started to meet people from Islam and Judaism and Hindu people and Buddhist people and atheists too. I know that that's not a religion, but I started to talk to atheists and listen to atheists. Like, help me understand where you, how you landed into atheism. How does atheism became the thing that you align with? Uh, and we we ended up talking about all these beautiful things and I was learning so much from so many people and I realized that the biases that I had been given about all of these different people groups were inaccurate. They were just not true. I was told that Muslim people were dangerous and I ended up in Turkey spending an extended amount of time in Turkey with a lot of Muslim people that were lovely and that treated me with so much care and love and compassion and hospitality and whose faith was deep and meaningful, and beautiful. And I met with a lot of Jewish people that also blew my absolute mind. And I still believe that Jewish theology, more than anything else, is the reason why I still consider myself uh, a person of faith. It's, it's mostly Jewish theology, not so much Christian, though there is a lot of Christian aspects of the theology that also draw me, but it was Jewish theology. And then I started learning about indigenous theology, and I was like, this is amazing. Why did they have to kill them? How many books were destroyed? How many narratives were destroyed? And we don't have access to them anymore. And... I was told that trans people were scary and I started listening to trans people and hearing their stories and they blew me away. Uh, it was so beautiful that the way that this is just a part of their identity, that this is who they are, that it matters to them to be able to express themselves as the true, uh, as their true self. And I started talking to LGBTQ people and I started talking to um, black people, a lot of black people and listening to their experiences. I started to grapple with the racism that I have both experienced my whole life and also that I have believed my whole life, the internalized racism. I remembered the many times that I didn't getting the sun because I didn't want to tan because the darker I got, the less beautiful that I was, the less acceptable that I was. And that's full-on racism because I couldn't even accept my skin tone. How could I even accept somebody darker than me? 
And I started to realize that all of the beauty standards that I had been given were white beauty standards, that I believed that white was beautiful and that blonde was beautiful and blue eyes were beautiful and straight hair was beautiful, which means that I didn't believe I was beautiful at all, that I didn't believe that all the people around me were beautiful, that my people were beautiful. And the more that I listened to people that I had been told not to listen to or that I had been, or yeah, that had been intentionally silenced for me, the more that I realized that there is so much depth and beauty and that I cannot put, that I had been demanded to put entire people groups in boxes. You know, all Muslim people are, all, you know, black people are, all uh, people from Africa, the whole entire continent are, all Asian people are, all LGBTQ people are. And I realized that that was so ridiculous and nonsensical and dehumanizing because every single individual is so unique. And the more that I met people outside of my realm of comfortability, the more uncomfortable I felt, the more that I had to confront the biases, the negative biases that I had been given about people, the positive biases that I had been given about the most privileged, the the positive biases I had been given about the rich, the negative biases I had been given about the poor. Um, and it was healing for me and good for me. And I had to be honest. I had to learn to be honest about myself because see, if you're not willing to be honest about yourself, you can't heal. If you're not willing to meet yourself without judgment and just be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, God, I am so racist. I am so racist and I don't want to be this way anymore. Then you're never going to change because you don't believe that you're racist at all. But we all are racist. We were born inside of a racist society that indoctrinates us all into racism, not even overtly anymore, but deeply covertly too. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the more that we are able to look at ourselves in the mirror, I was able to look at myself in the mirror and realize that I had been indoctrinated into misogyny, which then means that I am indoctrinated into self-hatred, right? And I had to grapple with all of those realities. And sometimes it still comes out. I was just sharing with someone recently that I've I've gained some weight throughout the pandemic. And I have been working really hard on body positivity and accepting my body the way that it is. And the last pregnancy that I had was so beautiful because I held no judgment for for gaining weight and becoming, you know, a pregnant, like having the body of a pregnant person. And I was able to enjoy being pregnant a lot more. And yet during this pandemic, I've gained weight. And the other, a few weeks ago, I was looking at myself in the mirror after showering and I was like god I'm so fat and I said that with disgust and I had to sit there and go whoa what was that what was that that is you're fat phobic still there is fat phobia inside of you of course there is because we are inside of a fat phobic society and I hold no judgment against me I don't think I'm a bad person for holding that I just observe it And I say, wow, that is something that I have to address. That is something that I have to undo. That is something that I have to heal from. But if I weren't able to say it, if I weren't able to, you know, if I weren't able to say it here with you and just say like, yeah, that is inside of me. Um, but I had to hide it in order for you to accept me as somebody that is just perfect. Then I'm never going to heal. But if we expose it, if we bring it out into the light, if we are honest, if we say like, yeah, this is the way that I was um, crafted by, not crafted, but uh, indoctrinated is the right word, the, the way that I was indoctrinated by all of these different systems, then we can start to address it. What we hide, we never address. What we hide stays there, causing damage in the dark. But if we expose it, we say like, yeah, this is something that we have to totally address, Then, then we can do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. That's 
wow. <laughs> um, and you're right, you know, it, it, the process of growth and healing and transformation of ourselves and our society is when we are willing to look at ourselves in the mirror and do the work and be honest with ourselves yeah. and get uncomfortable with ourselves and acknowledge things that we don't maybe like to acknowledge about ourselves um, and learn and unlearn. Um, and it's a, it's a constant journey um, and there's kind of no destination. It's just an ongoing journey and it's okay. Um, and yes. you can still... And you can still love yourself in that space. You don't have to shame yourself in that space. Because, um, yeah. see, the goal is not perfection, right? Because we were told mm. the goal is perfection, to appear perfect. Uh, we were told that the goal is to to appear acceptable. But the goal is not acceptability. The goal is not perfection. The goal is to be the most authentic version of yourself. That's it. And every day I become more authentic. Every day I show up in different ways. And there are days that I regress and I cover myself up again. And then the next day I go, I don't know, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't need to cover myself up again. And then I'm able to show up again for myself. And so I don't hold judgment for myself. I just observe myself and make adjustments accordingly. And that changes everything because I'm not trying to perform for anybody. I'm just trying to be, like, this is the goal of my life. <laughs> I want to be the best ancestor that my descendants could ever have. I want to leave behind a better world and a better legacy and a better uh, DNA <laughs> for them. That That's what I want. I want to work really, really hard at healing as much as I can and addressing as much as I can so that for my descendants, whether they be biological or not, it is a lot easier to be able to be the most authentic version of themselves. Um, so I do that. And for that, I don't have to show up perfectly. I just have to keep showing up and not betray myself anymore. Mm, absolutely. That's great. That's that's so true and so wise. Um, so what would be one word of, I guess, advice, wisdom that you would have for other people on this journey and trying to do this work? I think that the biggest thing that I wish somebody would have told me perhaps was that exactly mm. what I just said. I... I wish I, I, somebody could have told me, you don't have to hold any judgment. You don't have to arrive anywhere. You are where you are today. Be present with yourself today, with your questions today, with your discomfort today, with your grief today, with your joy today. Uh, and then we'll, we'll tackle tomorrow. <laughs> but today, today, you are where you are. You don't have to arrive anywhere. There is no rush to arrive to perfection, to arrive to the right beliefs, because what does that even mean? There is no rush to be able to show up in a certain way. There is just every day showing up for yourself and making um, a concerted effort to not betray yourself and not betray those you love the most. Um, and, and then from there, you heal every day. Your brain just changes. Uh, you start realizing that perhaps you were just trying to protect yourself. That perhaps, and, and that doesn't excuse horrible behavior, but, but at least you can hold some compassion for the choices that you made before. And you can hold compassion for the choices that others make against you. Um, not because you are going to restore a relationship or anything like that, but just so that you can 
that it can help you let it let let things go in a way you know like be like have less less burdens to carry have less baggage to carry uh but however amount of baggage you have right now that's fine and however amount of baggage you carry tomorrow that's fine too and you'll carry some more one days than others and you'll let go of some one days and others you won't and that is all fine you you're not competing against anyone this is an experiment of just being learning to just be what does it mean to be joe today that's it that's all brilliant i love that i love that so much um this has been such a great conversation um how can people connect with you online well, I'm on most social media platforms, so you can find me on Twitter, where I am pretty active, and you can find me on TikTok, where I am having a lot of fun. I actually enjoy TikTok a lot, uh, and I put on Instagram basically my TikTok videos and my Twitters, like my tweets, <laughs> uh, but then I have good conversations on Instagram too, so you can find me on social media, and we can have good conversations and start engaging with one another and creating, you know, this fun online community where we're all just learning together and we don't have to do things alone anymore yeah great and that's at joe lumen isn't it i think yes, on, on pretty much all name. the platforms yeah yes fantastic and i highly recommend following joe and connecting with her um yeah thank you so much for coming on the show again thank and you. let's not make this let's make sure it's not two years till the next time you come on <laughs> <laughs> Yes, right. Let's let's hope that these are the next two years are not the, the last like the last two years. Gosh. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, take care, and we'll talk soon.